Hello and welcome to Cinephiles Digest. My name is Matt and this is episode 90. And on this week's show, we have a special retro review of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. So we're going to be talking about that classic film. As well as, you know, talking about what else we've been watching since we last recorded. Should be fun. Let me go ahead and introduce my co-host, Tom. How's it going, my dude? It's going great, Matt. Hell yeah. And Travis. What's up? Yo, yo, yo. So how are you guys feeling? You uh, How's it been since we last recorded? You guys uh, hanging in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hanging in. Yeah, anything uh, cool going, going on? through the uh, motions of life. Just phone right at end? <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. I'm right. actually, uh, uh, I'm in the market for a car. Ooh. Didn't yes. you guys just get a new car a couple years ago, or you need like a second car so you have two? We need a second car now because uh, Sarah is going back to school um, in person next month. Oh shit! And so, just with uh, you know, pick up and drop off situations with Venny, uh, we got to have a second vehicle. Either that, or get up at like four thirty. So, <laughs> I think we're gonna do the second vehicle. So, what are you thinking? Uh, Lambo, McLaren, Porsche. I was looking. I was looking at those, but um, you know, I'm waiting for them to release some of their upcoming electric models. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, then I'll probably pull the trigger on the. Uh, the electric Lambo. Probably not enough room for a car seat in there either. They don't really make a sedan Lambos. They have these new trunk car seats that are really great. <laughs> Just put, put Vinny in the trunk of the car. <laughs> Strap him down with a bungee cord. Yeah. And in all seriousness, I have no idea what we're going to get. And uh, I'm really stressing out about it. And like, you know, going on websites all day, just looking at, looking at car options and, um, yeah, we, we haven't come to any conclusions. You got to get a Honda, dude. Honda's the way to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess there's lots of good options. Lots of good Honda options, I know. You got the CRV, the Accord, the Civic, the 97 Prelude. Yeah, dude. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're thinking about, I, I don't know. We're not sure if we want just like a sedan or an SUV. But if you get an SUV, like, I don't think a compact SUV is really, like, that helpful to have versus a sedan. So, uh, right. like, the CRV isn't really much more than a sedan, honestly. You, like, there's not much trunk space or anything, so. You're faking it, having an SUV. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I feel like we have to get something that either has three rows or a ton of, ton of cargo space or something, and those are God, you're a such a dad narrower dog. selection <laughs> well um, yeah i mean i am <laughs> total dad so it's uh i'm just trying not to get a minivan over here guys oh, dude i was literally just gonna say you gotta get the greatest car ever made a, a 2002 toyota sienna you gotta do it <laughs> disgusting cyrus had I one of those <laughs> it's the best car i've ever been in my life i uh I'm going to send you guys this this uh, van that I, I sent Sarah as a joke. It's called the Hyundai Staria. It's uh, it's coming out. You lost me at Hyundai. <laughs> They're actually um, a lot better than they used to be, kind of like Kia. Yeah, that's what they all say. 
What's it called? A stargazer? Uh, I just sent it to you. That's what people who are in the market for Hyundai. <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> this thing looks sick. Is this new? I know. Uh, yeah, it's going to come out, I think, this year or next oh, year. But it's God. only coming to Europe. This looks so. like a fucking blade, like a minority report car or something. I know, dude. I kind of want it. It's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to get in on one of these things. Just import it from Europe. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine pulling up? Dude. <laughs> pulling up to the club in a Hyundai <laughs> Staria. Oh, my God. They have the image of, like, the inside. It's got eight seats in rows of two. So Nine four, seats, really, if you want to sit in the middle. Oh my a four-stack, dog. That's this is huge. insane. That is huge. Oh, dude, and you can do you can sw- uh, swap the second row to face backwards, so you could like play cards in the middle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! That is sick. My dad bought this um, when I was in high school. I don't remember what it was. My dad bought this like old shitty van that had like a. Uh, captain's chairs in the middle so you could like yeah. you know spin around that yeah. was i loved that car so comfy he bought it for five hundred dollars and then like four years later he sold it for a thousand so pretty huge yeah man yeah oh, double this guy in the real estate market <laughs> <laughs> um would you guys you guys do anything fun with your uh stimmy money oh tom you're you're a fucking baller you probably didn't get any stimmy money Trav- uh, did you get uh, any stimmy money travis I did, yep. Okay, you did. And uh, I haven't touched it yet. Just hoarding it? Hoarding your wealth? <laughs> uh, no, I've spent plenty of money in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> plenty. And there's going to be a lot more spent in the next year or so. Yeah, I guess uh, being a homeowner, you don't get to have fun anymore. Mm. Nope. Well, I was hoping there would be some cool cool stuff with uh, taxes with being a homeowner, but you have to spend a lot of money on uh, basically interest, mortgage interest to make that worthwhile. Well, I'm paying a lot of interest. I know that. Mm. We all know, well, Tom. I'm, uh, <laughs> I owe money for taxes. It sucks. Mm. I haven't Damn. done mine yet. I'm... Uh, procrastinating well you can procrastinate a whole nother month with that uh deadline extension that's what i plan on doing (laughs) 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 i don't need need it so (laughs) (laughs) hoarding my wealth yeah um yeah I'm, i'm not really i'm not really doing anything i'm i'm flying my uh uh, my parents out next month for uh, they're gonna be here for I think Huge. nine days. So sick. Haley and I split uh, the plane ticket, dude. It's it only cost us four hundred dollars for two tickets round trip from Seattle to Orlando. It's so cheap right now. Wow. Um, and then Haley and I's anniversary is at the end of this month, so we booked uh, a hotel room in St. Augustine, Florida. So we're gonna. Romp around, see what St. Augustine's all about. Cool. It's going to be very, very cool. Fun. Anybody you know, get vaccinations? No, not yet. My parents are vaccinated, so they'll be fully vaccinated by the time they come here. Um, mm-hmm. But no, uh, I have not uh, been able to get my hands on one. Apparently, like uh, uh, Publix is like a, a big grocery chain. Uh, around here and they have like a waste list so you can call Publix and if at the end of you know the expiry date 
before they have to trash the vaccines. Like if there's any left, they'll call you and you can like come in and get vaccinated. I was thinking about looking into that because uh, that's probably the only way I'll get vaccinated within the next, you know, until the summer, probably, unless I mm. can get on mm-hmm. some sort of waste list. Sarah got vaccinated. Because she's a essential worker. Teach teacher a teacher. Yep. Yeah. You're not considered essential. Uh, I'm considered waste, actually. <laughs> <laughs> He's on a different waste list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shit. Um, well, huge news, guys. Huge news. What is that? Breaking last night slash yesterday. <laughs> I hit diamond rank in Apex Legends. That is a first. Tom spilled the beans before we started recording, so Um, it's not breaking news. Well, for the listeners, Matt figured you were running late because you were you were uh, mid match, and I told him about your retirement. No, (laughs) I I stopped playing on that account as soon as I hit diamond because there there was no point to continue to grind through diamond. Because the uh, split ends on Tuesday, and I know that probably means nothing to the majority of people listening. So, does it end on Tuesday? Right along. Uh, yeah, and then we're at Olympus for the next half of the season. Oh, thank God! And we're going for diamond again, baby. Who's oh, coming with me? I love me? it. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. <laughs> um, hey, Tom. We did have that one night. You were integral. Uh, to my success, I think. We made a lot of progress that night. Oh, yeah. Cool. Anyways. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's, a, that's huge you. news. Big milestone. Um, cool. Anything else uh, before we dive into our Vertigo review? Mm, Not for me. No. Cool beans. All right. Well. We're going to discuss 1958's Vertigo. Um, Fuck it. Let's play a clip. Here we go. What am I doing here? What happened? Well, you fell into San Francisco Bay. I I, uh, tried to dry your hair as best I could. Your things are in the kitchen. They'll be dry in a few minutes. Come on over by the fire. Here, I'll give you some cushions. There you are. All right. So for those who are not in the know, Vertigo is a big deal considered by many to be uh the greatest american film ever made right up there with uh citizen kane uh so very well regarded film plot synopsis reads a former police detective juggles wrestling with his personal demons and becoming obsessed with a hauntingly beautiful woman directed by the man the myth the legend freddie hitchcock this is uh, this is huge, Tom. I believe this was your first Hitchcock movie. Is that right? That's right. 
Travis, this is not your first Hitchcock movie, correct? Uh, no, I've seen a few of his, probably about a dozen or so. And this is also not a first time watch. Like you've seen this once before, twice before? Uh, once before, a long time ago. So I was uh, itching for a rewatch. Yeah, I watched. Uh, I watched it in college. Um, I've not seen a ton of Hitchcock films. I've seen Vertigo, Rear Window, Psycho, and The Birds. I think are the only ones I've so seen. So all the heavy hitters. All the heavy hitters. Well, except North by Northwest. I know people love that one too. Oh but, yeah. Um, have not seen that one, but loved it when I saw it back in the day. Also been dying for a rewatch, and uh, it was a light. Uh, Light release week, uh, just uh, had zero interest in watching that four-hour piece of shit Zack Snyder cut. So, you know, <laughs> we're, take, we're taking a stand. Instead of uh, <laughs> indulging in the, the zeitgeist, uh, you know, we're doing a throwback to a classic. So here we are. What did you guys think of Vertigo? Who wants to go first? Well, we got to let Tom go first since he's not I can go first. There are... <clears throat> um, things about it that i liked um but you know it was a little boring uh and the plot was ludicrous (laughs) (laughs) uh and i thought there were just some some um there were a couple of moments that stood out to me as just sort of like uh either confused like there were some time things that were a little bit confusing just just uh dated you know dated feeling to the to the movie obviously it's from 1958 so it's oldest oldest dirt um how dare you? i don't know I, I i liked it but uh i'd probably i'd probably get more out of reading an essay about it than i would watching it or a William Friedkin commentary track. Well, sure. I mean, we're going to have to hear what <laughs> William Friedkin had to say about it, obviously. Did you watch it with the commentary track on, Travis? Uh, I have like 20 minutes of it left. I've been watching the commentary track in chunks after I watched it, you know, without it. Uh, what kind of, what kind of uh, Friedkin do we get? Do we get unhinged Friedkin or like film scholar no. Friedkin? Uh, mostly film scholar. He does do a, a little bragging in it um where he gets to like basically make a jab at hitchcock and then uh but most of it is him just like summarizing the movie as it plays out it's actually a a pretty good watch to be honest especially if you're uh kind of confused by the movie he spells well, it all out for you and he says obsession about 80 times <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh... <laughs> well yeah speaking of obsession um and just the little the little uh descriptor you had there matt like i don't know like what people thought was haunting in <laughs> the 50s <laughs> but i didn't find this movie to be very um haunting I think I just get bored. It's like we're supposed to be just truly that captivated looking at a beautiful blonde woman for <laughs> like probably a total of like 95 minutes of runtime um, in the movie. But after a while, I was like, okay, let's let's move it along. Yeah, if, you, if you don't find her attractive, you're going to have a problem with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's not that she's not attractive. I'm just like, 
the, you know, this isn't enough to keep me, <laughs> keep me pulled in yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom, you know, you just don't, you don't speak the language of cinema, you know what I mean? This thing, this thing just yeah. sings start to finish. I mean, the composition of the shots, the, the breaking of the, well, what's that fucking thing called? The axis of, um, of action, right? Action, axis of action. Do you guys know what that is? I know about the axis of evil. Yeah, not that. Uh, <laughs> so, is this some like camera rule? Yeah, it's the it's the 180 degree camera rule where you're supposed there's supposed to be an invisible line that runs through a scene, and the camera is not supposed to to cross it because spatially it, it can be uh, jarring. Um, and one of the most famous examples, especially early examples of the, that rule being broken is in, uh, my favorite scene in the film. Uh, oh, before I continue, I should say this movie is, it's like 60 years old. So we're not going to talk around plot points or anything. It's just going to be full on, you know, mm. if you haven't seen Vertigo, fuck you, I guess. Don't listen to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but <laughs> There's a scene probably like 30 minutes into the film where uh, Jimmy Stewart is um, following uh, Kim Novak's character. And it's the mm-hmm. scene in the flower shop where he's like kind of hiding in the that back room where he's peeking through the, the gap mm-hmm. in the door. And it's beautifully mm-hmm. composed. You got the flowers and then it, it cuts. It's 180 degree like camera cut to him peeking through the gap in the door with the reflection in the mirror. Oh, so good. So I'll say I was into the composition um, of some of those shots really early on in the movie. Like the first 20 minutes, I was pretty interested. Oh, yeah. Like that um, uh, interior but, of the restaurant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Ernie's mm-hmm. was nuts. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, just looking at old San Francisco is kind of fun, too, in and of itself. Yeah, that was really cool. But um, after a while, I really started to lose track you know what there's still a couple of other uh pretty trippy and cool scenes there's one like an hour and a half in uh like the dream that is sequence? like the dream well, sequence it's more that, of a nightmare, that is awesome but... mm-hmm. um so good so good. <laughs> and the scene where he's following her through town and it's like left turn right turn left turn, right turn. <laughs> it's like what the fuck is happening in this where are we going uh yeah there was some good stuff in there for sure that's the part of the film that definitely, especially to a modern audience, like does drag a little bit, you know, like that. The intro introductory sequence is amazing. And I love the scene with, uh, I can't remember her name, but his like his friend who they like went to college Mitch. together. Yeah. Even though he's like 20 years older than her. Uh, yeah. They somehow yeah. went to college together. Um, the scene where he like stands on the, um, the step stool, and then she like pulls out the the big guns. It's like a three. It's like a weird chair mm-hmm. step ladder thing. That scene's great. But then once the actual like detective assignment begins, like there's death. Like you're saying, there's a lot of just driving around the streets of San Francisco. You see her car turn left, cuts Jimmy Stewart in the car turning. Like you know that that stuff is definitely very deliberately paced. But you know we're watching this movie sixty over sixty years after. It was released, so it's it's definitely yeah. uh, the sensibilities are very different, right? As far in terms of pacing, totally. Because you have these scenes where you're watching Jimmy basically do nothing for like four minutes, 
<laughs> and then there are these these moments later in the film where it's like all of a sudden Jimmy's like in a mental ward, and then uh, and you're like, what 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 happened here? You know? And then uh, you know five minutes later he's out, and then he says something about it being like a year. And I, I'm just like, yeah, that could have been smoothed out a little bit for the audience. Like, I'm having trouble keeping track of what's going on here. Well, I think that's that's a good that's a good example of the sensibilities of the time, where the the movie it doesn't spell everything out for you. You know what I mean? Like, that's a perfect example of there's that like nightmare sequence. We he just watched. Uh, Madeline, you know, fall to her death from the tower, and you know, is you're, it's unclear a, li- a little bit. You have to make some assumptions to kind of get all the way there, but you know, basically, he went into like a catatonic state as as a result of depression, I guess. You know, but the way that the movie handles that is very like, oh, all of a sudden he's in a psychiatric ward. And well, then... he didn't right away though. He has there's that whole like courtroom scene. Yeah. And then, and then we cut to it, and we're like, "Oh, okay." And now he's completely lost the ability to speak. You know, it, it's just. That and court- then it's back again. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a little jarring. That courtroom scene, though, I, I think it was—I don't know if it was the lawyer or the judge, but it's like a three-minute scene of him just like shitting mm-hmm. on Jimmy Stewart, like the whole. <laughs> I like that scene. It was great, <laughs> and it's like, God damn, dude! Like, give him a break. Like, can you imagine being in his position where he's mm-hmm. just like his weakness? Just he's just, he's just like basically telling the jury what to think every step of the way. Like, <laughs> remember that Scotty was was there and did nothing to stop her from falling. Like, all this shit, and you're like Jesus. And Jimmy Stewart's reaction. It's it's right after that, right? That he he gets uh, committed. Yes. After that scene, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden he's out, right? But what did you what did you guys think of? the suspense you know like the noir like mystery elements of the film were you it is a little silly to be fair but i mean were you genuinely surprised by the reveal that you know it was basically just a a a murder plot to take Uh, advantage of his acrophobia like i was surprised because um he's never seen hitchcock movie before (laughs) <laughs> well that's it's probably part of it of every one of his movies <laughs> i i was surprised because um there are no clues leading up to it that that would be like something that uh the husband would want to do they don't really ever explain why he's trying to do that uh, murder his wife and um also because the whole like i said the plot this this scheme that was hatched is completely ludicrous like it, even after it's explained to you you're like what the fuck kind of plan was that <laughs> and uh and and there's no like indication that i mean it all rides on the fact that there's some girl out there who looks exactly like his wife apparently so uh yeah i i don't think it was a very good plan so it's kind of hard to see it coming i mean yeah it, to be fair, though, it did work. The only giveaway was that she kept the necklace that uh, Claudette was that her name, Claudette, the the woman from the nineteenth century, Carlotta. Carlotta. That was the only giveaway. Like, 
I don't know. It it is a little it's ludicrous, right? But I do think it's pretty neat. Like I I love that scene where it's revealed that it was you know a murder plot where it cuts to that the scene at the tower, mm-hmm. and you see Kim Novak's character like with uh the husband and they right. throw the body off the thing and she screams and like i even though i knew the plot of the movie i was genuinely like surprised like all over again uh, to be fair it was like 10 years ago that i saw the movie the first time you know but mm-hmm. i i really like the mystery aspect of it i mean it's the classic bait and switch you know what i mean like you're you're meant to believe like what's going on here is there actually something supernatural at play like jimmy stewart's character kind of starts to believe it and i was like is there something is she possessed by the spirit of a 19th century you know like and then you know it does a good enough job convincing you that when the the turn comes it's genuinely interesting and then there's the whole like her going along with the facade and that's that's where the obsession theme really kind of kicks into high gear when he starts making her dress up yeah. like uh madeline and all that stuff and um it's weird yeah. watching it through I, a modern lens totally i i think with our um you know especially in the last like five years right mm-hmm. uh with our perspective um it's you're gonna you're gonna have some issues with this movie if if um Ferguson, Scotty, John, he's got like eight names. Uh, <laughs> if he wasn't so creepy, uh, this movie would be pretty sexy, I think. Uh, especially the first half of it. I was like, oh, okay, this is yeah. kind of hot. But but also it was, you know, a turn off in a lot of ways. So uh, I bet to early audiences, they were like, oh, yeah. This is some good stuff. <laughs> well, a lot of people think that he shouldn't have been cast in that role. They people say that it should have been a younger guy. Uh, what reasons do they have for that? Um, I think just because it doesn't really fit with him being like that much older than her. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely a a modern like opinion. You know what I mean? Like. That's where maybe where some of the creep factor comes from. Totally. Because, I mean, you do that nowadays and you're going to get called out for the age discrepancy, right? I mean, even Malcolm and Marie ran into that. And John David Washington is like, what, 10 years, 11 years older than Zendaya? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Jimmy Stewart is, I don't know, 25 years older than Kim Novak in this movie. Yeah, he looks like he's about 50. And she's playing a 26-year-old. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, but I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm projecting here, but I don't think in 1958 audiences would have been like, look at this gross old man pursuing this young, beautiful woman. Like, it was definitely much more well, common and, and acceptable. <laughs> another point to bring up is that this movie wasn't really critically praised when it came out, and it didn't really get its praise until after Hitchcock died in, like, mm-hmm. the 80s. For like a, I think when it was re-released for its 25th anniversary, that's when it got its big push of praise for it. So, Travis, you might be able to speak to this. I, I knew that that was the case, but I haven't actually done any reading of like the specifics of the critical response from when it was released. Like, what what was the I issue? Think people that people just thought had? it was too kind weird? of goofy. 
Well, I mean, it's it's goofy, but I mean, we had by this point Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Well, like. yeah, but I I think for Hitchcock at least, uh, like they just thought the plot was kind of like we've been saying ludicrous. Mm. They couldn't but get into the supernatural side of things. Yeah, I, I mean, it does seem kind of ahead of its time, just the way it's composed and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much like scholarship on Vertigo. Like if you look at the Wikipedia page, there are oh, people yeah. who think like Jimmy Stewart, it was all a hallucination in his head, you know, like it's all basically from the opening scene after he is like hanging from the the gutter that kind of triggers mm-hmm. his acrophobia. Like there's a, a critic's reading that it's basically all just a, a hallucination and like a psychological obsession that isn't actually playing out in reality. Like there's just so there's been so, so much academic, um, you know, papers and classes and everything taught on this film. And it's, it's kind of become, Similar to Citizen Kane, like this is one of those films that you show young cinephiles to teach them about cinema. You know what I mean? Like everything from the music to the craft to the composition of the shots to the 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 breaking of conventions. I mean, I mentioned the the 180 degree uh, like axis of action rule. Like there's just so much you can look to. And say, like, oh, this was ahead of its time. Hitchcock was, you know, he's rightly known as a as a master. Like, he just understood the language of cinema in a way that was ahead of its time. At least mainstream cinema. You know what I mean? Like, you've got people like Eisenstein and stuff that were breaking the rules of, of cinema very early on. But and there's German expressionism and stuff. But Hitchcock was, uh, was yeah. huge. I mean, there's definitely some something to some of those theories. Like uh, one of the one of the first things that kind of took me by surprise in this movie is it opens right, and there's the scene where he's hanging from the gutters, uh, and then we cut and he's in an apartment, you know, and or he's at the doctor's or something. I don't remember what it was, but um, uh, you know, he's recounting his experience and talking about this discovery he's just made about himself, but we get no clue as to how he got off the gutter, you know, how it is that he's safe when the police officer had just died. Um, and uh, also he, he's discovering at age 50 in this woman's apartment that he can't go higher than like four feet off the ground before he passes out. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this has never come up in your 50 years of life before. So, uh, you know, there's certainly, some validity to the idea that uh, it's all kind of a dream or a hallucination following immediately following that that initial experience. Well, it was it was triggered. I mean, the movie explicitly indicates that that his acrophobia was triggered by that experience. And there's even um, uh, a reference early on to the fact that I think it was a uh, Mitch's character that asks like is this you know this can't be cured or something and she asked her doctor and her Mm. doctor said only another like emotional crisis could potentially reverse the acrophobia you know what i mean and i do think that is what's being implied at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. is that did he bring her up there with the intention of 
her dying so that he could potentially reverse his acrophobia. Like that's one way you could read it because the movie ends with him on the ledge looking down and it's unclear whether did he jump? Did he do it so he could cure his illness? You know what I mean? Like there's, it's pretty open-ended and I think that's pretty cool. I think that's part of the reason why it's such an enduring film. I don't, where did you guys land on, on the, the very end sequence? Uh, just in terms of what I thought of it. Well, as, <laughs> an, as an it. ending, as an ending to the movie. Yeah. Did, did you like it? Was it unsatisfying? Did you find it interesting? You know, it felt to me like, um, so I, I took kind of a, um, morality lens and like, uh, an odd, you know, how it would play with the audience type of lens where, you want Jimmy to fall in love with this woman and be with this woman because uh, you're like attracted to their relationship together. Um, and part of what makes that so exciting is the sort of femme fatale element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also she's like complicit in a murder. So he wouldn't be like, the good guy if he ended up with her so it's sort of to me i read it as a convenient way to have your cake and eat it too where you have a hero who's still a good guy in the end um but also kind of got his uh you know his love and romance um with this beautiful attractive mysterious woman Mm mm-hmm and there's, you know, there's there's a tragedy to it, too, because he ultimately ends up getting the tragic ending to the love story that he thought he had before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, what about you, Travis? Where did what did you think of of, of the ending um, of the in terms of the story? Well, I feel like I haven't really given many thoughts. I've given uh, Friedkin's thoughts on the movie, but. You, uh, you, it was your idea. You opened the can of worms, and now me and Tom are just nom, 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 eating up all the worms. <laughs> Actually, oh, yeah, I did suggest Hitchcock, I think, but I, yeah. don't, I don't think I necessarily suggested Vertigo as the first one. I think it was Tom, right? Yeah, because this has been on my watch list for a while. Yeah. Because you watched uh, but, it, Matt, like a couple years ago and said you really liked it. Well, I watched it 10 years ago, and I mentioned that I really liked it. Oh, yeah, I guess um, while we're on the subject, are we going to continue with this or uh, like whenever we need something to for content filler? I, th- I think we should. Book? I'm super down. I mean, even if even if we do like two reviews, you know what I mean? Like because obviously next episode we have to watch Bad Trip, the Eric Andre hidden camera prank movie on Netflix. That's huge. I didn't even know that existed till now. You know, so we could pair it. What's a what's a bad trip Hitchcock movie? Is it Psycho? Is it the not birds. really a Rear Window? But wait, what'd you say? The Birds. The Birds. It's kind of a bad trip, right? It's kind I think of a they go on some sort of vacation type. Oh, getaway. like that kind of bad trip. Yeah. <laughs> Literal. <laughs> a literal bad trip, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I didn't even mention that at the top of the show. So this, you know, in a week where we were struggling for, not struggling, but indecisive and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
Um, God damn it! I need I need one of you to help me. Indifferent. What are you indifferent. To say? Yeah, it, indifference not the word, but similar to indifferent. Like, uh, anyway, there was not something where we were like, yeah, fuck yeah, we need to watch this movie. You know what I mean? Uninterest. Uninspired. I I lost it. I don't even know. Boring. Um, we couldn't agree on anything that we all wanted to watch, so you know, this came up as a like a, a series of reviews of featuring the work of a director. So I would be down to continue it. Maybe not every episode, but yeah. Well, um, but that was that was the premise. definitely not all of Hitchcock's movies. But I would be curious. Or interested in watching a good amount of them, at least the popular ones. Did he I, actually yeah. direct well sixty one, which is what I'm seeing on Letterboxd? Yeah. Ugh. A I lot of them I'd are really count all those old. though. Yeah. Right. Like he also really remade old. a couple of his own films, I think. Like I think Rope Sick he did move. twice. Yeah, dude. That's awesome. So he was a trailblazer. I mean, he did it first. <laughs> Whatever you think you know about film, Hitchcock did it first. You know what I mean? Make remaking his own shit. Michael Hanukkah, he thought he was cool. Hitchcock <laughs> did it first. <laughs> um, but anyway, well, I mean, back to Vertigo. Rear Window, Psycho, yeah. North by Northwest, The Birds. I'd be down for all those. Yeah, but those are all the ones I've already seen, though. So, oh come on, man! For good reason. I need a reason to. I need a well, North by Northwest. I'd be down for. I need a reason. I need an excuse to watch Hitchcock movies. Tom, you have to watch Psycho and Rear Window. Oh yeah, that's all I gotta say. So, Travis, back to but back yeah. to what you were saying. So, yeah, I guess my thoughts on this movie, um, I would agree with both of you guys for the most part. I do love it from, like, a technical aspect. I do think it's uh, very well-made and beautiful to look at. Um, the opening title sequence is pretty awesome, as well as the score. Um, oh, yeah. It's all, it all the, feels... The score is great. And looks very iconic, um, but yeah, the story, I didn't, I didn't get that wrapped up in it the first time I watched it and still was a little distant this time around. And I think it is just because of how like kind of convoluted or ambiguous the, the plot of the movie is. Um, but yeah, I do think it's an interesting movie. Um, it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's more so trying to go for like a mood or a feeling and you're not really supposed to focus that much on the plot, even though the plot is like a big part of the movie. Oh, totally. I mean, that's that the the mystery kind of thriller aspect of Hitchcock's Ouve is like kind of his whole thing. But you're right in that it's not it's not really about the like you know the specifics of the plot. It's more about establishing a mood of um obsession yeah obsession <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're you're supposed to kind of be in the dark a little bit like the i think what makes the movie so effective is that it the movie is always kind of one step ahead of you where you're always kind of on your heels in regards to the twists and turns of the story one moment you think Maybe there is some credence to the supernatural plot, and then all of a sudden there's a switcheroo, and it's actually a murder for hire plot, and she's an actor, and then you're like, so is this a love story? Now he's obsessed with 
this woman who he thinks is a different woman, but it's the same woman and the audience is in on that. But, you know, like there's just so many moving parts to it that it's it's more about that feeling of Jimmy Stewart is just has a boner for Kim Novak. I mean, that's the movie, right? Like that's the whole thing. Everything comes down to I want to fuck Kim Novak. She's huge. And I got to make this happen. You know what I mean? That's the movie is about Jimmy Stewart get trying to get in Kim Novak's pants. And he doesn't even know it's Kim Novak uh, the whole time. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Nailed it. I'm going to pass it back, back to Travis in a second. But I did one of my favorite scenes visually and thematically is when um, Judy, that's her real name, the actress's name. She puts on the Madeline outfit at that moment she steps out of the bathroom and it's like blurry like angelic uh, like yeah. you know she walks towards the camera it is so it almost looks good. like she's like a silhouette yeah like it's like looks like a ghost almost it, lo- it looks like she's an angel like she's yeah. well and the it's going for the ethereal like because another theme of the movie is like you know uh it's it's not literally supernatural but there's a theme of like beyond the grave like uh beauty beyond the grave kind of thing you know what i mean with the the painting and uh, uh the possession storyline um anyway i love that scene but travis i want to ask you vertigo before this watch was not one of your favorite hitchcocks right you still were like not. and it's still not so and did you are you basically in the same place you after a rewatch are you basically in the same place you were uh the first time it, it went up a little bit this time around um was it friedkin i feel like <laughs> no you i feel you like into I, it? I was uh, uh i don't know i remember being more bored and uninterested the first time i watched it um but now since i kind of knew what i was getting into i didn't have that problem as much uh but yeah, I think I still prefer more like straightforward thrillers. Like I, th- I just think Rear Window is really entertaining and probably is most accessible. Not that his movies are inaccessible, but it just seems like the the most like crowd pleasing of all of his. And then Psycho is like you know, I mean, what is there to say about Psycho that hasn't been said? Psych. To be fair, though, Psycho is pretty like weird and pretty groundbreaking Mm -hmm. rear window is no nonsense start to finish it's just a fucking what's going on pervy like the way that's constructed with uh uh, the voyeurism and the 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 murder mystery is just there's no bullshit in rear window you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i think i'm not at all surprised that rear window is your favorite for for that reason you know it's just like it does not fuck around. It's so interesting. You get invested in it. Um, I would need a rewatch of it. I think of the four Hitchcock films I've seen, Vertigo was and on a rewatch is my favorite. But I don't know. Rear Window. I saw Rear Window and Vertigo in the same film class uh, when I was in college. So I favored Vertigo then. Vertigo I, is, I would love to watch it. Vertigo, Vertigo <laughs> is the uh, cooler pick of the two. Hmm. Yeah, I'll give you that, Matt. Depends on who you ask. 
I mean, is it cool? I mean, it's Sight and Sound's number greatest film of all time. You know. Yeah, but it's got that like running. that dreamlike quality to it, kind of like David Lynch's movies. Yeah. See, Hitchcock I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> would you say that uh, Vertigo was an inspiration for Mulholland Drive? Um, kind of feels. Like it feels it. like it. I wouldn't be able to say that it is definitively, but I mean, especially that scene that I was talking about where she steps out dressed as Kim Novak. I mean, the mistaken mm-hmm. identity thing, that's a right. through line. The kind of noir, like crime, epic crime feel. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, once, once like, you know, definitively LA and once definitively San Francisco, two big cities in California. So. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a an interesting comparison though. I, I now that you say that, I definitely can see uh, Lynch being uh, you know, Lynch is a fucking maniac. So obviously he's doing his own weird, fucked up dream version of Vertigo. But I, I, I definitely see. There's more par. The more I think about it, the more parallels there are there. And that's some more parallels, and these are obvious because Brian De Palma is known for ripping off or. Paying homage emulating to Hitchcock, but yeah. uh, definitely some uh, dress to kill vibes in this, and also body double. I don't know if you guys have seen. I know you've seen dress to kill, Matt. I have not seen body double though. There is a scene that is like, well, I guess there, yeah. There's a scene in body double that, well, I don't want to spoil it because it's kind of towards the end, but very reminiscent of a scene in Vertigo. Um, one thing I did notice is that I didn't really notice any, um, um, what's the, what's the technical name? Maybe you guys don't know, but the, the technical name for, uh, that film technique where you have one character in the forefront and you have another character in the background, but they're both in focus. You know what I'm talking about? Hmm. No. Um, De Palma does it all the time, and he got it. Oh, it's it's um, uh, split diopter. That's what it is. Split oh, diopter right. lens, where you have like a character's face like right up close to the screen, and then you have another character towards the back. That was a thing that Hitchcock. I don't know if he did it first, but Hitchcock popular popularized it. I don't recall any uh split diopter shots on in this one i think rear window has a couple but um you guys know what i'm talking about though right that de palma does it all the time as he does it like every other scene in carrie he does it in uh <laughs> he doesn't do it so much in scarface but he does it a lot in um he does it in body double um sisters he does it in sisters Anyway, I know that's like a Hitchcock. That's a thing he took from Hitchcock, but I don't recall Hitchcock doing that in Vertigo. Oh, okay. Is why I yeah, I see that. what you're talking about now. Yeah, so I'm looking at some examples. Um, I mean, I've definitely seen this a couple times, but it looks kind of weird with the um, the blurring in the middle. It's you know, a really... the two images. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really neat visual effect every time i see it i'm like oh fuck yeah that's cool you know what i mean <laughs> but even though you know it's 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 kind of a well well-worn uh technique that that especially thrillers and mystery films kind of kind of borrow but every time i see it i'm like fuck yeah split die off <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think that now I, I know what to call it. Though. I'll probably notice it more often. Yeah, now that you've been uh, enlightened. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else? Well, he created that uh, effect, the whole zoom vertigo effect, the push pull. I don't know what it's. A- oh, dolly, exactly. uh, dolly zoom. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean I the scenes he where he's looking that. down like stairwells and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like where it, it fucks like with zooms your depth in perception and mm-hmm. pulls back at the same time. Yeah. Mm. He invented that for this movie. Pretty Just cool. Inventing film tech. What an innovator. Kubrick gets all the credit. Hitchcock did it first. <laughs> I mean, every time, every time. <laughs> Hitchcock did it. It's like a Simpsons joke. Um, isn't that a South Park episode? Oh, yeah, that is South Park. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. You guys see that episode? <laughs> no. Butters. Uh, but I have to. <laughs> Butters um, uh, is like a Professor Chaos, and he's trying to come up with plots, you know, because... Uh, Professor Chaos is Butter's like alter ego, and he keeps coming up with like nefarious plots. And his his sidekick keeps telling him, "No, Simpsons already did it." Every time he comes <laughs> up with some plan, every single time. And then Butter's has nightmares where his sidekick is like, "Simpsons did it, Simpsons did it." <laughs> that's that's every filmmaker's nightmares. Just I think I'm gonna Hitchcock go watch that did episode it right after this. <laughs> Um, I think. Oh, you know what? I think it might be the Family Guy episode. That, that sounds one? like a Family Guy. Uh, well, no, you know, the the South Park episode thing. where they try to cancel Family Guy. Oh, I think it might be in. I think that might be a side plot in that episode where Butters is trying to come up with. I might be just be combining two episodes, but. Um, yeah, this one is from season six, episode seven. Okay, like. so never mind. That was that was pre uh, um, Family Guy episode. A long time ago. It's huge. You guys, get, it's on HBO Max, South Park, the whole thing, big time. Um, <laughs> anything else? I mean, kind of, kind of audacious of us to think that we would have anything new or interesting <laughs> to say about <laughs> the most critically examined and you know. <laughs> Uh, appreciated film of all time, but well, any other thoughts? Part of the reason why we uh, shy away from reviews like this because there's so much discussion already out there. Uh, to be fair, though, I mean we've we've been talking about it for over 30 minutes. I mean, we're yeah, we're we're Hitchcock scholars here. Hey, you know? I'm I mean, I'm here to give the real perspective on this movie. You know, not the, this like oh I wrote I wrote an essay on it in college perspective. The the I watched movie, it in three boring. chunks. I was bored as hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that scene with the flowers was pretty. I was Good looking shit, at autotrader.com while <laughs> <laughs> watching. <laughs> that's like that's fair. Oh, I didn't fair. at the same time, but in between chunks, definitely. That's fair. <laughs> so, Tom. If mm. this is the first in a series of retro reviews of Hitchcock's filmography, mm-hmm. how stoked are you? Are you into it? Does this make you curious to see what else is out there? Or are you kind of, are you worried that you're going to be bored? Where are you at? This makes me curious to see um, more, but really only the hits. Like this did not, 
encourage me to dive deeper into the uh, the filmography of Hitchcock. I do think this is one of his more unique movies, though. Like, they don't all feel this way. A lot of them are more straightforward, I would say. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so, you know, you want to watch Rear Window and The Birds and Psycho, but you're, you're not really uh, keen to watch... Uh, Notorious or uh, uh, Strangers on a Train or uh, Blackmail, like the, hey, the Deep Cuts. Train is Correct. Good. So is uh, North by Northwest. That's the one that I'm most curious because I've never seen North by Northwest. So I'm. Some people think it's his best. Basically, the t- the Hitchcock trifecta is Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest, and Psycho. Throw Psycho in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. I mean, people that like the murder is fun. But yeah, but people don't really consider it to be like his best movie. Yeah. Or do they? No, no, no. Which one? I, I mean, it's it's one of his more popular ones. Dial M for murder. Yeah. Mm. So I just pulled up Dial M for murder on Letterboxd, and that looks like Jimmy Stewart, but it's that's not Jimmy Stewart. That's apparently Grace Kelly. But he looks just like no. Grace Kelly's a woman. God, I'm stupid. <laughs> Ray, some jabroni named Ray Willand. All these guys look the what same. A loser. Cary Grant looks kind of <laughs> like uh, Jimmy Stewart. No, don't no. bring Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Cary Grant, Grant is the looks goat. like his own. own. Cary Grant yeah. is the best. Yeah, you're right though. He does look exactly like Jimmy Stewart, but they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't sound the same fair <laughs> i'm uh so before we move on from vertigo uh th- i would say the three of us have limited to medium experience with classic hollywood um who's your favorite classic hollywood leading man mine's clark gable <laughs> basically just because of it happened one night but what do you guys oh, is man. it jimmy is it jimmy stewart i mean what do you think uh no, who was Robin Hood? Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, shit. Like there's an like old... in the old in the old Robin Hood, like uh, in the seventies or the sixties. That's not classic Hollywood. What are you talking about? The Disney Robin Hood? No, the animated what? one. <laughs> oh, of course not. I mean, there was a Rob. The Adventures of Robin Hood was nineteen thirty eight. I I literally do not know what you're talking about. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna look for it. There have been so many fucking Robin Hood movies over Errol the years. Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn. Thank you. It, yeah. That's yeah. My that's guy. that's Adventures of what? That guy would be your guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. I don't think He's I've seen him in anything like, else. Isn't he in all those like action adventure type movies from back in the day? I th- I think so. Yeah. No, my uh, my real answer would be um, uh, what's his face from the court? Danny Kay. Who? Danny Kay. Who? Yeah. Who? <laughs> the court jester, Danny Kay. Oh. <laughs> I I still don't know what we're talking about. Tom's you pose the question. I'm answering your question. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. What are you talking? Who's Danny Kay? 
He's the star of the court jester. <laughs> what? <laughs> Should I know what the court jester is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a 1955 movie. Oh. oh, you talked about that a couple months ago, right? I mean, I I've talked remember. about it probably like four times on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Anything else on uh, Vertigo? Uh, well, I don't think I gave a leading man, but I don't think I really have an answer. Does uh, Buster Keaton count? <laughs> Buster Keaton? Sure. <laughs> I guess. He's not really the classic. Uh, he's not really a I'd least. probably. Buster Keaton's I'd more of a. I'd probably go with uh, Jimmy Stewart. jokester. Jimmy Stewart? Uh, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart's I, a jokester. <laughs> I could listen to Jimmy Stewart. I wish Jimmy Stewart had a podcast now. Like, if he was still alive, you know, and sounded like he did then. I would listen Tom, to him literally any topic, a podcast by Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> Tom, you're going to love Rear Window, guaranteed. All right. Rear well, Window's pretty I'm, huge. I'm, I'm hyped on it. You're going to love Jimmy Stewart in it. Ooh. Does, uh, like, what counts as a classic leading man? Like, how, how, how old does it have to be? The cutoff would be, I would say, the mid 60s. Like, most okay. of the classic leading men were like, like Jimmy Newman. Stewart, you know? Yeah, I mean, like Paul Newman, Robert uh, Redford. Well, no, Robert Redford would not be. He, he kind of came to prominence in the, in the 70s. No, I'm talking like, um, uh, I mean, not Charlie Chaplin. What's the fucking guy's name I'm thinking of? There's Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. Um, Burt Lancaster. H- Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, Humphrey Bogart would be a good one. <laughs> uh, Clark Gable, um, Gary Cooper. Uh, who's the other one? Who's the, who's the guy in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Gregory Peck. Gregory oh, Peck, yeah. he would Gregory be he Peck. would be a leading man, like a classic leading man, and I guess John Wayne too. Probably, oh, yeah. yeah. John Wayne would count. If Paul Newman counts, that would definitely be my vote. Paul Newman. I feel like Paul Newman is yeah kind of yeah. uh, he's the just a little off. bit too late. He's the new age, the starting of. <laughs> well, it's it just I don't know. He he. I'm looking it up. Paul Newman was born in 1925, so I mean I don't know how early he was working, but yeah, he would count. And uh, uh, Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson was huge. You guys know Rock Hudson? Oh, yeah. Fuck it. He, wrestler, was, in a, right? he was in a lot of... Uh, the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was in a lot of Douglas Sirk <laughs> films. Um, Rock Hudson's big. That guy's huge. Um, okay. He's a tall man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is a tall man. He was six. How about... Uh, Rock Hudson was six foot five? <laughs> Jesus. How about Mitchum? Robert Mitchum? He's Oh yeah. He's awesome. He's still alive, isn't he? Old triangle face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good shit. He's the one did uh Robert Mitchum's the one who did uh Night of the Hunter, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yep. dude. That movie is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I need to rewatch that for our, especially if we're doing a top one hundred. For our hundredth episode, I gotta see. Oh yeah, I gotta see where it. I know it's top one hundred, but I gotta see uh, where it lands. Matt, you know what movie you have to watch with uh, Rock Hudson in it is Seconds. Seconds, what's that? Directed by John Frankenheimer. It it feels like a feature length Twilight Zone episode, but um, it feels like something you would be into. 
Cool. Well, I'll have pretty to check good. Her out. It's on Canopy. All right. I'll have to watch <laughs> it. What's uh? Are we doing star ratings? Yeah. Let's do mm-hmm. it. It's a five banger for me. I love Vertigo. I'll give it a four. I will give it a four as well. You guys, you just can't appreciate good cinema. Guess not. Citizen Kane, Vertigo. It's, there's a reason these are the two overrated. This is, this is these are the Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson of cinema. You know what I mean? You guys just. According to Sight and Sound. Aren't film fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to Sight and Sound, which is according to like a thousand film critics and professionals. Nah, critics are a joke. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that for years. That's <laughs> <laughs> Book of Henry, greatest film of the past decade. Critics got it wrong. <laughs> yep. Um, cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Um... Travis, yeah. Tom and I talked about this a little bit in the pre-show, but did you start Last Chance You basketball? I have not. I want to, but what are you uh, doing, dude? I I don't know. There's just so many so many things to spend my time doing. This is days. Last Chance You, though. We love yeah, Last not, Chance You. It's not football, though. So I'm a little a little disappointed by that for some reason. <laughs> I want more football. Uh, and you did some research, and there's not going to be more, or at least in the works currently. Is that right? Yep, that is not the plan going forward. But real quick, did you guys hear? It sounds terrible, but uh, I think it's San- is it Sandra Bullock? No. Oh, it's uh, Courtney Cox. She's going to be doing like a dramatized version of seasons one and two. In like a dramatized television show, kind of like Friday Night Lights, probably. But it'll be uh, she'll be the counselor woman. I forget the one that got really popular from that show. Oh, from the first two seasons, uh, yeah, the, the you Miss you... Miss Brittany or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Courtney Cox, huh? Yep. I don't like that casting at all. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think it's necessary to do a dramatized version, but I did not hear a dramatized version again. of what? The first two seasons of uh Last Chance You. Last Chance You. East Mississippi, EMCC. God, what is this like the blind side part? Who's two? gonna play Buddy? Oh my god, is it gonna be John Goodman? <laughs> 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 back on board if they can get John Goodman. <laughs> He's too skinny now. He lost too much weight. He can't be he can't be fat buddy. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Oh, I had not heard that. Um Tom, you you watched like an episode and a half. You and Sarah started it. Haven't gotten far. Yeah, so I I thought I was going to be able to watch it by myself, but um Sarah got hooked. So, I got to do it when she's available. I'm really disappointed in you guys. You know that? We yeah, are the Tom and Sarah. We are the preeminent <laughs> last chance you podcast on the internet. We were there on day one. And we've talked about every season. <laughs> well, okay, you came later, but you were there. <laughs> I'll say this about the new season. Um, I like it. It's much more uh, palatable. The people involved are uh, good people, not assholes. 
and um, <laughs> basketball is fun, but it's not the same level of drama you can create with a football game. Yes, that that's the main. That was my main takeaway. Like, I'm not gonna get into specifics because you guys, you know, aren't very far, but. The human element stuff is as good as it's ever been. Like mm-hmm. the following the the players, getting their backstory, interviewing their family, like the team dynamics, like in the practices, the rivalries and the the interplayer kind of feud stuff is as good as it's ever been. But where it's really lacking is in the like the sports drama aspect no. of it. Cuz it's also it's hard to make basketball cinematic you know what i mean like there's just Mm -hmm. something about football that you can just the angles and the 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 size of the field and the scope of the plays like it's just lights yeah there's yeah something about it i mean anything can happen in in football where just like you know you can be having just such a shitty game and then in a moment you know someone breaks through the secondary and run 60 yards for a touchdown especially in juco with the incredible athletes they have there's tons of um opportunities where just like the athleticism shines through and someone you know is just better than everybody else right right um but in basketball it's much more steady like you can go on big runs and everything but like you know you're pretty much either going to win or you're going to lose uh yeah i mean with football there's there's less possessions and like uh, higher stakes less chances of scoring too so yeah and you can easily like swing points you know one way you get a turnover and score a touchdown off that that's like could be a swing of like 14 points if that other team was about to score or something like that well and that's the thing they they try i I won't get too specific but they they try to make drama out of like let's say to start the game, uh, I can't remember the, the college, um, East East LA Community College. Let's say they start the first half and they're sloppy, so the camera will have like show all the turnovers and they'll create a narrative around one player who's getting frustrated and they're sloppy and then but they're only down by eight points and then they have the locker room talk and they come out and then they explode and the end result is they win by. 30 points you know what i mean like (laughs) they try to make drama out of it but it's just not as effective as the football seasons like there were moments in last chance you the football stuff where it was like intense as fuck they would be Mm -hmm. down by three touchdowns and all of a sudden there would be a turn and then it's the fourth quarter two minutes left and they're down by three and you know like the drama of it just plays better on television so like i do think overall it's really good and i think you both should see it through it's a great show but it's definitely missing that element of it the the sports drama element of it for sure yeah yeah that's the best part. Well, see, I've always been partial to the the human element stuff, but it's Boring. it's held together by the game, yeah. the game stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, they complement each other well. That's why it's such a good show. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, you think Cheers? You think Cheers is coming back for a second season after uh, old Jerry got uh, no. arrested for child for for kitty porn? Dude, I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't know. 
That was the most of all the things that happened last year. That was the most 2020. What the fuck moment was, that was Jerry. <laughs> we love Jerry. And then Jerry turns out to be a kid diddler. You know what I mean? Like of all the things that 2020 had in store for us, that was the, what is happening? Why? Yeah, that one hurt for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, documentary crew or team or production company or whatever, whatever they're doing though, they are doing it right. The, Cause cheer mm-hmm. last chance. I mean, I just feel like the, like the style and the model that they have is is just uh perfect for entertaining television. Just just plug and play. I want to see Juco yeah. golf. I want to see Juco <laughs> lacrosse. I want to see it all. <laughs> yeah. I want to see the bowling team. How about track and field? No, nah, track and field's boring. <laughs> They'll still try and make it cinematic, though. Yeah, dude, that pole vault, slow motion pole vault. Ugh. Ah. <laughs> ah, whatever, you know. The, it, at this point, <laughs> slow it down. <laughs> There's Netflix has a, a formula. Netflix is a company of formulas and and metrics and analytics. So, oh man, Matt got this one hot on on Netflix. Yeah, I love Netflix. Don't get me wrong, but. It's a lot of content they're putting out. Oh yeah. Um, what else have you guys been watching lately? Fill me in. Uh, I've been watching The Terror on Hulu. TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Terror was an AMC show. Um, oh, that they've got like Ghost Ship one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not a Ghost Ship. It's about. Um, <laughs> it's about the search for the Northwest Passage in the 1840s. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think they do a different, um, yeah, they do a different, like, every season's different, right? So, oh, okay. uh, season one got got really good um, reviews, and it looks like season two and three have gotten good, but not as good. So, I don't know if I'll continue with it, but um, I'm really liking it. It's not, um, I don't know, I really like it, but I'm just kind of uh, interested in the the mechanics of like the search for the passage and them getting trapped in the ice and uh, you know, everything they have to do to kind of survive. And I have to use subtitles, uh, <laughs> the accents and the, just the, the way that they did the sound mixing is like impossible to make out a lot of it. Um, but it's fun, kind of a spooky, uh, you know, period thriller. How is the show still on the air? I'm looking at, like, nobody watches this show. I'm looking at the ratings, and it's like, <laughs> it's not I looking good. I don't know anyone who's watched it. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even heard of it until you just mentioned it. I don't know. I found it because I was looking for great shows I'd never watched, and it came up, like, a couple years ago, and I wasn't able to watch it because, uh, you know, it was just on AMC, and then now it's on Hulu. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. Well, I might uh I might have to give it a poke. I don't know. Sounds it sounds neat, but I just um AMC uh has anybody watched Halt and Catch Fire? I've heard really good things about that show. Have either of you watched that? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, Pert's good. Might check her out. Is that basically it? You just been watching uh The Terror, Tom? Uh yeah. Pretty much. Mm, all right. 
What about you, Travis? What have you been getting into? Uh, I saw The Father in the theater, the new movie with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Yeah, I've heard it's, been it's uh, pretty a good. A lot of buzz. Yeah. Mm-hmm, very high praise. Uh, I liked it, but I do think it's a tad overrated or maybe just didn't quite uh, work for me as well. Uh, the performances are all really good, and I think that's where it's getting a lot of praise, but I also think people really like the direction of it. Um, it was adapted from a play and the, the show creator or the play, right. Or whatever you want to call them. They are also the director of the movie. So they basically adapted their own play and directed the movie of it. Uh Um, and yeah, I think people like the direction of it because it, I, I think it's somewhat gimmicky and it's almost just feels like more like an exercise than anything. Um, because the movie tries to like put you in the headspace of Anthony Hopkins character who is suffering from dementia or mm. Alzheimer's. Um, so it's kind of a, like a jarring experience and, um, it also is confusing at times, but again, it's trying to put you in that headspace. And for me, that just wasn't that satisfying of an experience. Like I thought it was a cool idea and it, it was executed well, but I just don't think it really like paid off that well for me uh, because you, you can kind of guess where this story is going to go or, you know, how the characters are going to interact with each other um, because it's a pretty universal type story. It's not like this is the first time someone's ever experienced this. So, you know, and it's a pretty small contained story too. Um so yeah, I was I, I did like it, but I do think it's a tad bit overrated. Um, but like that could just be me being a hater. It's uh, it's very well made, and um, there's definitely some good things about it. But yeah, just didn't quite work for me like it worked for others. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I've I've heard. I'm sure uh, you guys will love it. Oh, I'll wait till it's streaming somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah, it definitely worth the wait in my opinion. Or uh, is it worth, worth the wait? For. Sorry, worth yeah. the wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I rewatched a ghost story. Oh, the uh, Rooney Mara eating pie movie. Mm-hmm. Tom, you saw that, right? You caught up with no, that? I didn't see it. Oh, you should check it out. Yeah, I feel like that movie came out at the same time as a lot of other sort of slow, you know, kind of uh, oddball movies. And so I just didn't, I wasn't in the mood for another one of those. Perfect time for you to catch up with it now. Yeah, I remember liking it when Matt and I saw it in the theater when it came out. I think we saw it at Seattle SIF, right? Yeah, that's part of SIF. Yeah, David Lowry himself showed up unannounced. Yeah, that was cool. Um, but I just remember our, my viewing experience not being that great. Maybe it was just the hype of being at SIF. But I remember we were sitting like in the far back corner and the theater slash screen we saw it in, in and on was not ideal. Like when I rewatched this on my TV at home, I thought it looked amazing. But I couldn't say the same when I first saw it in the theater. Huh. I remember it looking amazing, and I remember that being one of the main things I liked about it. I was kind of underwhelmed by 
the movie itself. Did you like it more or less I on rewatch? I liked it more, but yeah, maybe I just wasn't as captivated in the theater because of our circumstances. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I did like it actually quite a bit more this time around. Um, I do think it is just beautiful to look at. Um, it's very slow moving, but I think it works for this type of movie with what it's trying to go for. Um, and there is a lot of big ideas, but it's also just a very simple story. So I, yeah, I just like how like small and intimate it is. And then also like how grand and expansive it can be. Um, cause it does straddle both. But uh, yeah, I like it a lot. You should check it out, Tom. Oh, it's on right. Netflix. I'm I'm curious to revisit it, but I don't know. We'll see. I think I gave it a four on a first watch. Borderline 3.5. We'll have to see. It's going up. <laughs> it's going up. Um, I didn't watch much. I've been slacking on my movie watching, but I, I did watch uh, three 2021 releases. Um, I think I, I watched, can piggyback one. Uh, I'll save that one for last. Um, I watched The Last Blockbuster. Oh, this is, that's uh, the one I was referring to. Oh, shit. Didn't you watch <laughs> Moxie? Oh, yeah. I did watch that, too. Oh, that's the one I was thinking of. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's do the last blockbuster. Um, it, so this is a movie, like it sounds, uh, about blockbuster video. Um, specifically kind of focuses on the last existing blockbuster video, which is in Bend, Oregon. Um, it was okay. I feel like it should have been better. There's a lot of really funny comedians that I like that are featured in the documentary um, that really don't have that much insight. Like they just kind of talk about like, yeah, I used to love renting movies. Blockbuster, (laughs) that place had a weird smell, huh? You know, like (laughs) it just wasn't that interesting. And it kind of has this jokey, like uh, Netflix documentaries. There's a specific kind of Netflix documentary, like how um, the movies that made us. I don't know if you guys ever watched any of those, but it's like kind of this annoying narrator who talks about things. And Lauren Lopkus, who I do generally like, is the narrator in the movie. But she is kind of annoying. And there are these moments where it's it's edited to be like she's talking to the subject but she's not in the room like she was not involved with the making of the film so they do like Lauren Lopkiss doing voiceover work asking one of the people a question and then the person responds and it's just silly do you know what I'm talking about Travis yeah yeah no it totally feels like something that would have been on like VH1 or like Food Network back in the day. Totally. Just um, ki- like a low kind of budget, uh, just pop culture, uh, you know. It's like a popcorn movie, you know what I mean? Like, which is fitting because it's blockbuster, but it's just like a, you know. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, it has like a kind of like a YouTube style editing style to it um like just the way they like will cut in like three seconds of something or like make a little like offhanded comment about it like i don't know just it felt kind of 
amateurish and more of like a fluff piece than anything. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't really learn much either. Like it was kind from a nostalgia standpoint. It was interesting. And I, I liked the stuff at the lack, blo- the last blockbuster itself. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the, the blockbuster family and all that stuff. But when it tries to get into the history, it was just kind of sloppy and very surface level. I, fa- I thought. Yeah. I think it would have been better just to lean into that one store rather than it being like the history of blockbuster and um, this last blockbuster store. It was okay. I mean, I I I liked it well enough. It, it's worth watching, but it's not something that I think people need to seek out. You know what I mean? Like, it was fine. I think I rated it like a three. Yeah, I gave it a two and a half. It's fine, but could have been better. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom, you got to bounce in a couple of minutes here, so uh, I will give you the floor. Anything you want to mention before you got to hop off this one? Hmm. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I didn't watch anything else, but uh, we'll see if uh, if we have anything interesting to re- review this next time, or if we end up uh, doing another classic. Well, I think we we should. Do you guys know what Bad Trip is? That Eric Andre movie. It was supposed to come out last year. <laughs> no, I don't know anything about it. It's similar to jackass it's like a hidden camera uh prank movie mm-hmm. but it looks insane you guys should watch the trailer and it's eric andre that guy's a fucking maniac so it's like oh, very crude his buddy in it he's in it tiffany haddish is in it um it looks nuts and it's it it's on netflix the 26th i think next friday um so you know that's that's an yeah, I'd option. Watch that. That's an option. It's probably like, it's probably like eighty minutes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, Tom, we'll let you go. Um, we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time, buddy. Cool. I will catch you guys later after I reopen my computer and um, get out of this <laughs> program. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. Later, dude. Later's on the MenJ. All right, Travis. Just me and you now. All right. Let's, let's wrap her up. Thing off. Um, before we talk about Moxie, I got one other thing. Uh, this is huge. I watched the Shudder original horror film Slacks. This is a movie about a possessed pair of jeans that begins to uh, kill the staff at a clothing store. Now, slacks um, with two X's. With two X's, yes. <laughs> um, so this movie knows exactly what it is. Um, it is very, very silly. Um, basically, it's about this, like, trendy clothing store whose marketing is all about, like, being you know, environmentally friendly and like making a difference in the world by our jeans and you're cool, you know, kind of thing. Like there's a very specific branding about it and it kind of has this mystique and the, the kind of main character is this young girl who like, you know, has been obsessed with these jeans since she was, a, you know, a, a teenager and she finally gets a job and it's very silly. Like the premise is that, 
the jeans are supposed to be like fair trade, like made under humane working conditions, but they use like cheap labor in India. And this Indian woman like falls into this processor and gets like grinded up in with the jeans. So she like possesses the jeans and she like <laughs> lives off of blood. So these jeans like eat people and there's multiple scenes of these jeans just like just sucking up movie. kind of kind of yeah <laughs> um really silly kills um it's it's a very modern film in the sense that you know i mentioned social media and the the way the characters kind of talk is very like you know they use lull speak you know they'll say like lmao and shit like that which is Usually annoying, but this movie is not taking itself seriously, so it's like trying to present these carrier these uh, these characters as like self obsessed like assholes. Basically, mm-hmm. um, I had a ton of fun with it. It's not, it's more well made than you would think. Like it's got a decent budget behind it, or at least it seems like it. Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's a blast. If you subscribe to Shutter, um, check it out. I think it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes currently, or at least the last wow. time I checked. Also, it's like 75 minutes, so it does not overstay its welcome. <laughs> it very easily could have become annoying and repetitive, but right before it reaches that point, it just it gets out and kind of ends on a really silly cliffhanger note, um, which is awesome. I thought it was great. Well, I don't have Shudder, but this does sound somewhat appealing. <laughs> uh you should have saved this for the digest this sounds uh like a perfect movie to pair with something else shitty like chopping mall or something yeah i mean we still can <laughs> you know i can uh well we'll see oh, yeah that is true um so that was that the only other thing i watched was moxie which i don't think you didn't talk about Last I, time, because you watched I it since then. I think I watched it right after we recorded, like maybe a day or two after. So Moxie is um, directed by Amy Poehler. It's based on a young adult novel about this teenager. I think she's a junior in high school who basically starts putting out like a feminist punk zine in her school. And she, her alter ego is Moxie. So she like basically starts this feminist club at the school and it's you know very ya premise but um Mm -hmm. i saw your rating travis uh what what did you think of uh moxie uh i liked it quite a bit um it just felt like one of those solid teen high school dramedies uh had a good cast of characters i liked the uh the lead girl in it i thought she was pretty good but yeah, it just felt like one of those like, you know, easygoing high school movies with a message and it did feel uh pretty timely as well. Um I thought it was pretty funny too. There's a couple funny parts in it. Oh yeah. Not too, too much not too much to say, but it is uh very solid. I would definitely recommend it. I would also recommend it. I didn't like it as much as you. It definitely kind of has some uh, you know, I remember my first beer vibes to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I remember the first time I listened to Bikini Kill, you know, like it's very uh, kind of white liberal feminist 
version of intersectionality and feminism. Like the main character I think is one of the least interesting in the films. Like I feel like it's kind of a missed opportunity not having Lucy, like kind of her like not her best friend, but her like kind of sidekick Mm -hmm. be the main character because she is actually interested in intersectional identity politics you know what i mean and this movie just kind of does very surface level like you know it's intersectional in the sense that there are black girls and there's an asian girl and there's white girls and there's a disabled girl but like it doesn't there there really aren't any there's nothing beyond their identity politics that kind Mm -hmm. of make it more than just a yeah girl power kind of movie which is fine you know it's a teen movie like i'm yeah you could easily call this a nice movie <laughs> yeah 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 and i I think it's got great music i mean it, it leans a little bit too much on bikini kill like there's a cover band that plays a bikini kill song riot girl by bikini girl not riot girl um rebel girl by bikini kill is like the catalyst that sets off the main characters like you know punk phase which kind of came across as disingenuous like she heard bikini kill looked at one of her mom's old zines and then all of a sudden just had the no the the wherewithal and the aesthetic to be a feminist and make like a diy fanzine like out of nowhere mm-hmm. you know what i mean so for the purposes of the plot it makes sense but it, it just felt like a teen movie in that way you know what i mean which is kind of why yeah. i I gave it a 3.5. Um, I thought it was good. And Seth, what a heartthrob. I want Seth to be my <laughs> boyfriend. Like, that guy was great. Um, what a cutie. But she's kind of annoying. I don't know. The main character. There are some moments where it was like, uh, yeah, not a very relatable character at this point. I don't know. I kind of like the like struggles or transformation she went through. And I'm not saying it's like anything like groundbreaking or that we haven't seen before, but um, I don't know. It seems like she had to deal with some stuff that a normal teenager would deal with and, you know, had to overcome it in one way or another. I like the the climax, too. Everyone kind of got their moment there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I can see what you're saying. It felt a little dated in the sense that like i don't know i mean i'm not in high school and i haven't been in a very long time but i feel like it kind of feels like they're projecting like millennial and earlier high school politics onto a modern movie like it's hard like i don't have a kid who's in high school right now and i don't know any high school kids so it's like hard to say but i i get the impression that this kind of like you know, jock rules the school type of thing isn't really so much a, you know, I felt a little archaic. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but I, 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 may, I feel like maybe we're a little bit beyond that nowadays. I mean, maybe not. Maybe high school is the fucking same and, you know, it's still jocks are the, you know, the high school heroes and, but, you know, the whole, the whole thing premise of the movie is that they kind of bring this like girl power like intersectional feminism to the school because they like there's a list where they like rank most bangable and best ass and all this stuff and i don't know do you think high school is still that fucked up i don't 
Maybe I'm just too plugged um, into the internet. Like I, <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know. It's hard to say, but uh, I feel like that generation. Well, I don't want to say anything too mean. <laughs> <laughs> Are they too sensitive, Travis? Is that where you were going? No, I just I don't know. I don't. I I'm not plugged into uh, that circle, so. I can't really speak on it. <laughs> Just uh, bring back wedgies and swirlies. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was good. I, I like Moxie. I think people should check it out. It's on Netflix. Um, it's got kind of mixed reviews. Like some people are really coming down hard on it for being like, you know, really looking at it through a critical, like intersectional feminist lens and giving it like a one star review. Cause it's like a, of course they are. you know, the main character is a white girl, you know, it's like, it follows the white savior trajectory of these kind of movies where it's like the people of color are just side parts, you know, like they're just there to serve. And I get that perspective, but it's still a good movie. And I do think it's worth watching, especially younger folks who watch and, you know, it's about, you know, loving and appreciating each other. But the, to be fair, you know, it's yeah, it ends up that the the main character uh, gets most of the credit. But, you know, I, I understand where people are coming from. But I think it's uh, it. This movie's heart is in the right place yeah, for sure. I, I don't know about all those hot takes. And uh, the I'm talking about for all movies. And I yeah. feel like the the more and more as time goes on the the worse it's getting and i don't know it just seems a little uh disingenuine like it just feels like people are writing these like you know critical pieces or think pieces like just to get clicks and if you go hard enough in one direction that you'll get like more uh traction because you know no one cares if you like fall in the middle on an opinion really they mm-hmm. want to hear you lean one way or another it's kind of like the thing that uh like armand white became famous for was always leaning the opposite way of the critical wave which yeah i i totally get that i don't know if i would have uh used armand white to make your point but uh well (laughs) that was just one example uh and but i mean to his credit he's so knowledgeable that he can he can back up his statements going either way he's so versed in film criticism that he can choose which side he wants to stand on and maybe he was a bad example but i just i don't know it just seems like some of the hot takes out there lately are like more so to just get buzz or clicks than it is like a true feeling well and i feel like i i think kind of where i land on that is that people will refuse to watch or criticize movies that don't fall exactly in line with their politics. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if it has a slightly different perception or or view on, you know, whatever the topic is, whether it's high school or it's uh, being a woman in the modern world, like whatever it is, I feel like people are kind of scared to have opinions that don't fall in line with their whatever their identity politics are whether you Mm -hmm. are 
you know, uh, whether you're a, a communist, uh, left-wing, hyper-online Twitter person, or you're uh, ultra-conservative, alt-right, you know, like people just, their worldview is so shaped by what other people think that it kind of feels like it's getting harder and harder to find like honest opinions on things that aren't shaped by these like kind of hyper identity, you know, these identity politics are, politics are so polarizing that it's like, like you said, you kind of have to be on one end or the other. And if you, if you fall somewhere in the middle, you're like a coward or you're a traitor. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, pick a side, don't be a fence sitter. And it's like, yeah, I agree with that when it comes to, you know, actual social issues, but in art, you know, like I, it's a hard thing to talk about. Right. And you know, right. we're two white dudes in our thirties talking about identity politics. Like, <laughs> well, no one wants to hear us. Day, but, it is just the movie, so... I mean, oh, totally. It depends on how much stock you put into that as well. <laughs> and I think the movie, is, its heart is in the right place, like I said. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's trying to do the right things and, like, be inclusive. And maybe it's not perfect, but, you know, it's trying. Yeah, see, and that's where I would say give the movie credit for what it's trying to do rather than just, like, destroy it because it didn't you know, do it in the most proper, best way. It didn't go far enough or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's the movie still got to appeal to, like, a wide audience, and um, I think it still wants to, like, be, like, a somewhat of a light comedy on Netflix for everyone to watch, but then also have these, like, politics or themes attached to it. Totally. Um, so I liked it. Haley liked it even more than I did. I think Haley gave it like a four and a half. Um, she loved it, but she, she read the book or at least started the book <laughs> back in the day. Uh, okay. So she, that's the main reason we watched it is cause she, she's been dying to watch it. It was good. Worth a watch. I liked it. Yep. Um, that's it for me. I don't know if you got anything else. Uh, I'll talk about one last thing. So I finally watched that movie. Good Dick. <laughs> oh, you did watch it. Yes. And, and it was kind of a chain reaction from the last blockbuster <laughs> because of the uh, the plot of Good Dick. It just said uh, that premise sounded uh, appealing to me after watching the last blockbuster. And it's a short movie, a great title. So, you know, had to give it a try. I remember you watching it and not liking it, but... Uh, but then I think Haley recommended it to you, and mm -hmm. um, it is kind of a weird movie. I will say that I don't think I liked it ultimately, um, but I did like moments of it. I liked what it was going for. I just don't feel like it was executed all that well. Yeah, like for one, the premise is pretty creepy. Yes, and you know, disturbing. But talk about obsession, time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, both the characters are a little odd. Um, Pretty unlikable, which, too, from what I remember. Yes, definitely. Like, they're very... Well, the girl is very, like, cold and distant. And then he's kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. But they're... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think this movie is just kind of, like, half-baked. Like, it didn't do enough with its premise or, like, dig deep enough into, like, the characters and where they're coming from to like 
reach a satisfying conclusion. Uh, I just don't really feel like their their relationship went deep enough. Like we didn't get enough scenes of them to like I don't know really hash out where they're coming from. Right, right. Because she was very cold and distant, and then he was like really trying to like make something of them too, um, but she wasn't really having it. And but he was just like adamant but he had more reasons other than just like um like romantic reasons <laughs> like relationship reasons right a lot of it was like uh it seemed like he needed a place to stay because he you know was living out of his car and stuff um but yeah it, it wasn't that great um i, I did kind of like the hangout vibe a bit and um i did think it looked pretty good for a low budget movie um, like some of the cinematography, because most of it was just like shot in an apartment or at like a little video store. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it looked pretty good considering. But yeah, ultimately not that good. Yeah, it's uh, Haley likes that movie a lot. I think she liked it a little less when we watched it together, but she she really likes that movie. Um, it, it just didn't do it for me. Like I said, it's kind of creepy and weird. But not in like a David Lynch way, more like a <laughs> this is kind of gross and uh, isn't doing enough above and beyond that for me to get invested in it, you know? Yeah, I do think there's like a good idea there, though, and like it could have been a good movie. It just mm-hmm. fell short. Yeah, totally. And so how how did this come up? I know you said it was because of you watched Last Blockbuster. Did you just remember... Did something trigger this or did you just remember the basic premise from when I talked about it or like what was the catalyst? Yeah, I just I just knew the plot revolved around uh, him being a video store clerk or whatever. So your memory was just kind of jogged by the the last blockbuster, essentially? Kind of, sort of. Like I was on I watched last blockbuster on Netflix and then when I was scrolling through Amazon, I saw a good dick pop up. Oh, Oh, this movie. Oh, there's a video <laughs> store plot. I should finally watch this. <laughs> I see. Okay. Very cool. All right. That's that's it. That's what you've been up to. Uh yeah, that'll do it. All right. Well, uh next episode, uh, we got what's on the horizon? I mean, we got that Godzilla movie in May, I think. We've got um the Mortal Kombat coming out in April. That bad trip movie comes out next week um so there's things on the horizon but anything else you can think of that might be a a candidate for Mm. next episode Uh, i don't know i haven't really been paying attention to the new release schedule it seems like amazon besides coming to america like hasn't it's been pretty light in the first half of the year, like Amazon was putting out bangers last year, like blow the man down the vast of night, Borat, like uh, uncle Frank. There was a lot of stuff throughout the year. I feel like this year it's mostly just been HBO max for the most part. Cause it's like, those are the marquee releases. Yeah. Maybe I'm just yeah, not paying that's close true. attention, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well, we'll see. We might, we might have another, uh, might have another Hitchcock review. Uh, we'll, we'll at least do Bad Trip. I'm, I'm excited to watch that. It'd probably be fun to talk about at the very least. Um, you should watch a trailer of it, Travis. If you, 
It might jog your memory. I feel like we saw trailers for it back before COVID because it was supposed to come out like summer last year. I don't know. I feel like I would have remembered hearing of this. Like I literally Nothing. don't recall anything. And, well, <laughs> well, maybe and to not, be though. fair, I don't really follow Eric Andre. Like I've never watched any of his stuff. So, oh my god, dude, Eric I'm not Andre in the know. Is the best. <laughs> he's he's a psycho though. <laughs> um, okay, well that's gonna do it for this episode. To be determined uh, what's gonna be on the next ep. But uh, coming up next in the feed, we've got the next episode of the Digest. We're gonna be talking um, uh, Double Dario. Travis's picks mm-hmm. were uh, Suspiria and Deep Red. So. That'll be the next thing coming in the feed, so stay tuned. We'll be back with the mainline podcast in a couple weeks. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Peace out.